Hello there. Welcome to episode 298 of the No Persinium podcast, the voice of everything immersive. I'm your host, Noah Nelson, coming to you from the No Pro headquarters, aka the kitchen table here in Los Angeles. This week on the show, we're taking a dive into Tribeca Immersive. The Tribeca Film Festival is the first major film festival in the United States to get back to doing things in person uh, as we come out of the latest phase of the COVID pandemic. Want to acknowledge that the pandemic is still raging around the globe. It is a pandemic after all. But Tribeca is back in New York. Uh, Tribeca, which is created as a, a form of resilience. Uh, the first Tribeca was in 2020, 2002, sorry, 2022. No, that's next year. In 2002, uh, as, a, as a way of celebrating New York City in the wake of 9-11, uh, and now Tribeca is kind of getting back to its resilience roots. There are 30 projects in Tribeca Immersive this year, ranging from uh, installation art pieces uh, and sound walks. There's a sound walk from Annie Saunders, uh, who uh, was on our very, very first episode zero of the No Persinium podcast. Uh, there are VR theater pieces uh, like uh, Welcome to Respite, which uh, was reviewed by us back when it was a in-person immersive theater piece here in Los Angeles a couple of years ago. And there are uh, some incredible pieces that you can access online, um, both virtual and augmented reality. We have the creative teams of the two of those pieces with us today, uh, one virtual, one augmented reality. We've got the team from The Changing Same, An American Pilgrimage, episode one. Uh, that would be Michelle Stevenson, Joe Brewster, and Yasmina Lyatt. Uh, they're coming to talk to us about this piece, which we first saw at Sundance this year. Um, it is uh, this stunning, uh, magical realism take look at uh, really the, the original sin here in the United States, which is uh, racial inequality and specifically uh, the uh, exploitation and oppression of African-Americans, uh, of black people. Um, and the the piece is just incredibly moving uh it leverages volumetric capture technology in order to bring live performances into the vr volume it uses uh you know captured textures and also cgi elements and just balances surreal imagery with all too real all too everyday experience of black americans uh to just create this really visceral this visceral piece um that is the first part of a series and i'll let the team talk about the rest of that uh we also have an augmented reality piece uh which you can actually uh, either experience as an installation in new york city or as an app on your phone it is on uh, the, the, uh, iOS store. I think it might also be on Google play. I got to double check that. Hopefully you'll find that in the show notes. And that would be Brianna's garden. Uh, we have, uh, Lady Phoenix and Sutu coming to talk to us about that piece. This augmented reality piece is, um, 
It was created in conjunction with Brianna's family. Uh, there is this, uh, well, I'll let them describe it. Uh, it's, it's really beautiful piece. Uh, I've gotten, I got to, to check out like the early version of it. I have not had a chance to check out the full version they describe in the interview. Uh, Catherine has, and just says it's really, really lovely. Catherine, you are executive editor. Uh, and I'm looking forward to opening it up and, um, and connecting in the garden, uh, today. So you'll hear more about that. We're going to have the changing same, and then we're going to have, uh, Brianna's garden. That's the order today for the podcast. couple of couple of pieces of housekeeping before we go forward. Um, you can find all of our Tribeca coverage on the website right now. We've got a kickoff piece uh, that has some interviews in it and also kind of gives you a little uh, talk about six pieces we're really looking forward to. The Tribeca Diary is starting to roll out and we're going to have reviews in there. Catherine's put in a bunch. Uh, Michaela Tarnaski holland is going to be doing some over the weekend. I'm getting a chance to dive into that uh, starting tonight. It's been a really busy week. So look to us over the weekend to have more coverage coming out of Tribeca. And the lovely thing this year is a lot of this stuff is going to be accessible uh, sooner rather than later. So some of the silver linings of the pandemics, uh, as much as the pandemics had any silver linings, is that a lot of the film festival stuff is reaching people a lot faster. And that's good for the culture overall. Um We've had no new Patreon backers this week. Uh, Patreon.com slash no proscenium. Just just to be blunt, you know, uh, I make my living from that Patreon. Full stop. Right. There's there's no sponsor. You didn't hear a mattress ad. Uh, You don't see, you know, uh, random food pop up ads on the website. Everything comes from the Patreon and we're gearing up to make some big changes where we're, we've got some really exciting stuff coming up after we flip over from episode 300 to episode 301. Uh, this is episode 298, so you know we're really close. Uh, we have a goal, an immodest goal of getting to 500 backers by the end of the summer. We're at 339 right now, so that means we need 13 a week. So I know a lot of you already do what you can and you drop in and you give money and I don't want you to do any more, but if you could help spread the word on the work, all right, whether you listen to the podcast, you rely upon the immersive review rundown, you use the call sheet, spread the work around. The more people who see the work, the more likely we're going to find some folks who love what we're doing and are able to give $2 or $5 a month. Patreon.com slash no proscenium. I want to thank our sustaining backers, all right? And our sustaining backers are Ari Hurston, Brittany, Elaine, Emily Gillette, Deborah Robinson, Lonnie Hanson, Paul F., Mark Balthazar, Samuel Mustry, Sidney Guillory, and Jan Budman. Thank you all. You keep a roof over my head. All right. On that note, not on that note, <laughs> put that aside. Uh, check it all we do at noprocinium.com, and you can also find our listing site, everythingimmersive.com. If you want to get your stuff covered, uh, there is a post on the website right now on NoPro on the front page. It'll live there, and that'll tell you how to do that. And if you want it listed in our newsletters, which are roaring back to life, uh, go to everythingimmersive.com and submit your piece there. That can be a live experience. It can be an online experience virtual reality experiences and virtual worlds. We track them all at everythingimmersive.com. All right. 
And now, our first interview of this Tribeca Immersive Special with the team behind the Changing Same and American Pilgrimage. We'll, we'll kick off. Well, let me start. Oh, yeah. My name is Joe Brewster. I'm a Brooklyn-based creator. Uh, uh, I like to say I was born in L.A. because that is the center of something uh, that uh, is that inside of me. But I am one of the directors and producers of The Changing Same. Uh, hi, I'm Michelle Stevenson. I'm also a Brooklyn-based creator and also a director and producer of The Changing Same. Hi, I'm Yasmin Alayat, also based in Brooklyn, and actually the same neighborhood as Joe and Michelle, <laughs> just a few blocks away. And I'm a director and producer as well on The Changing Same. Um, for those who haven't caught it at a festival yet, but who might be getting a chance to catch it at Tribeca, uh, uh, could, could someone give the elevator pitch for uh, what episode one is and sort of the, the series as a whole? Yasmin, you are great at elevator pitches. <laughs> uh, sure. That's um, what I do with marketing at Scatter. <laughs> um, but uh, so the Changing Same, episode one, it's uh, Changing Same, an American pilgrimage is the official title. And episode one is The Dilemma. And um, the Changing Same is a magical, realist time travel experience through 400 years of uh, racial injustice in America. And um, as, a, as a user, you travel between past, present, and future in this sort of nonlinear way um, to sort of see how, um, basically, our, how history has shaped the, you know, our modern times and how there's still um, uh, a lot of that, how, and how it's still impacting society today. Obviously, uh, Joan Michelle can give a little more color, but that's generally the premise. That that conceit of a of a kind of a surreal time travel journey, I'm I'm really fascinated by that choice because the the material is so grounded and you know I mean racism particularly this particular vein of racism is the original sin in the United States and we we see the effects of it constantly in 2020 you know it it came back center stage in a way it it hadn't it's always on stage but it became a laser focus i'm i'm kind of i'm really interested in the choice to use all the surrealist imagery to to create this this sort of space um that allows the visuals to be very surreal while the the dramatic underpinnings are just just rock solid and you know hyper realistic there's this kind of kind of hyper realism to what's going on because of the way the performances are are captured um and so yeah like i would just love for someone to riff on that because it's it's just it's such a dynamic choice and i'm wondering i'm wondering why that direction was chosen um i I didn't quite hear the last sentence, but I'm going to riff anyway. <laughs> the, the, the thing is that, uh, that this is kind of a, a difficult uh, challenge to deal with the original sin. But, but we were 
up to, to the task. And so, but, but we don't want to make it palatable, but we want to make it inescapable. Mm. And so inescapable means we make it beautiful. Uh, we use uh, all kinds of, uh, of devices uh, that we don't have in other forms of uh, uh, filmmaking or immersive uh, uh, making that 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 constantly remind you that uh, this has not changed in 400 years. And so you can be in uh, a place having a conversation and all of a sudden the walls around you uh, changed to and, and teleport you to a place that's 200 years from now, the same conversation uh, uh, is occurring and will occur unless we all take responsibility. So, so anyway, the, the technology uh, allows us to free you from the projection, from, the, from pointing to this as something in the past or something in the future. No, this is you. And, and that's why we're thankful for this immersive technology. Maybe uh, there's another take on it, because I argue with my partners often. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, we are we are storytellers at the at the at the core of it, right? And um, so there's also this desire to reimagine, re-see a lot of these a lot of these moments that we sort of know unconsciously already about, whether it's stop and frisk. Or, or taking a plea uh, uh, when one is in jail, um, even even certain tropes about um, uh, slavery that we wanted to kind of turn on its head as storytellers. And so for us, the VR experience, the idea of being in a 360 space um, allowed us to sort of reimagine and weigh how can we put all of this information in, keep story at the center while challenging sort of uh, uh, assumptions. And for us, sometimes in order to make connections, I mean, that's why we tell stories, you know, in order, mm -hmm. sometimes we to make connections, you have to step out of reality. It's almost like you have to step into the, the, the surreal yeah. or the magical to make the point, whether it's through fables, uh, we've been telling those kinds of stories for ages, where there's some kind of lesson at the end and sort of, I come from a magical realist tradition. I'm from the Caribbean. And so growing up with stories that are magical real, but are very much sometimes grounded in horror, right? And so how do we, uh, how do we entice people to keep, the, keep taking the journey and then freeing their minds to be able to make connections historically? And for us, uh, one thing that we wanted, I wanted to really emphasize is episode one is a beginning. It's an introduction into the world, into the space. Um, uh, into how we're going to be time traveling. What are the, some of the references that'll be coming at you uh, as you're as you're kind of like traveling through this space with no with no ground beneath you? Um, but we later go to chapters two and three, episode two and three, where we're going to be visiting more around black joy and celebration. Right, that everywhere there is pain, there is also joy, and there is resistance. So mm. it's this constant sort of tension. So how do we? How do we use a magical realist tool to bring out that tension in a way that allows people to keep watching and keep experiencing? What is working in VR, particularly with volumetric capture of performance? Uh, how does that 
lean into the dynamics of magical realism because with volumetric, you know, you, you get something that can feel very, very real, almost like stunningly. So even, even when there's still, you know, some, you know, quirks to, to, to the tools, but there's, there's just something where you, you plop someone in and it's like, Oh, that's a person in front of me. How does that, how does that work into the dynamics there? Cause it's, it's a different tool set than anyone's had a chance to play with before. I would say volumetric filmmaking embraces everything from photorealism to magical realism um, as, a, as an, uh, a first point. I actually think that um, the choice that you're talking about, about going with volumetric filmmaking, when, you know, Joan Michel and I met for this project specifically five years ago, um, I, I think they, the, 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 the idea of volumetric filmmaking was actually kind of a key approach here because it is very important to have real human performance here. Obviously, it, this is a big part of it. And... Um, um, and actually feeling the presence and like you're sitting next to Lamar, you know, in a, in a car, you can only achieve that exactly with what you're talking about with this kind of hyperrealism or photorealism. Um, but also um, the benefits of these tools is essentially these are um, real human performances and actors that are represented in, in 3D that we can manipulate and stylize. So even Lamar or Harriet, we, as you mentioned, um, we've been able to have um, a lot of freedom creatively, actually, where Harriet can be this magical being and 13 feet tall, and that still it, it exists within the volumetric filmmaking um, world. I think it actually is uh, a translation of our world and also beyond is how I like to think of it. It, it allows for um, the whole spectrum of aesthetic uh, exploration. Um, and, and one other note I just wanted to add, it's like also the world itself, how the world was built. Like it, it is actually a real place. We did go to a, a Mariana, Florida for capturing the places that are pretty realistic, like the Cracker House and the and this first scene you're entered. It's actually a, a real place. And this is volume reality capture as well. Um, and then everything else is sort of obviously up to the imagination that was um, created, but based on, on also real, real places. Yeah, yep. I mean, that's why, uh, just to add a little bit to that, I mean, that's why we were attracted to volumetric filmmaking, because we were going to be able to kind of explore the whole continuum of what, you know, a, 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 a disintegrating Lamar into fireflies could be versus sort of being in this uh, in this police car where it, it gets real. I also thought it was, it's such a, it shows such a, a, a real understanding of kind of the, the, the tension in the tools to start us off in a space that is, is, you know, realistic. You're there in front of the house, you know, it feels like you could be just like outside on a night. And then as everything kind of pulls away and then the world starts kind of changing and morphing, like there's a real journey you're taking the audience on, um, you know, in the world. And, and that's something when I see people jumping in and doing volumetric or doing films in VR, I don't, I don't often see that, that thought process there. I don't see people saying like, oh yeah, we got to take people from what they know into what they don't know. And as we do that, like in this piece, there's this, this undercurrent of also like, we're taking people from what they know to what they don't know, but also to what they definitely know, even if they aren't willing to like look dead on it, at it. And, and just the way it plays with those dynamics, I think is just I don't know, like, I, I wish more people would see the power of the tools the way I'm seeing them used here. Um, well, uh, let me just say this. Uh, there are some things that, that, that are traditional. Mm. And so 
we introduce you to character. Uh, we not only introduce you, but we make him uh, unavoidable, affable, and we invite you to go on this journey. This is the basics of uh, narrative storytelling 101. But if you look at my partners, you can't tell from the, the way they look. We're, we're trying to push the envelope as much as possible. Uh, thank God this was not episode two and three. Otherwise, uh, the portals change, the, the, uh, the walls uh, may move uh, dramatically, and we take a, a lot more risk. But th in this first episode, we're actually uh, helping the user to get comfortable uh, with us throwing down the, 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 the gauntlet in terms of the laws of physics in the world that we live in. So we're set, set aside. We, we are training the user to expect uh, uncertainty in terms of the physics of this universe that we live in. And then we use that uh, to make connections that we could not have made any other way. And, and I, I don't want to give too much away. Uh, oh, maybe I should because it's, you know, could be a, a few, a few months before that episode. So we allow you to enter environments and listen in ways that you could not imagine. We allow you to, uh, move, uh, in ways that you could not imagine. And our sessions are basically over the past year have been sitting down, toying with ways in which uh, we can tell this story and ways that we can manipulate the physics uh, um, uh, to tell the story more effectively. And so that's what's exciting to us about uh, VR. And I, I wish we had 20 minutes to tell this instead of 13. Mm. The past year, I, I mentioned this earlier, you know, the, this material, this material, Jesus, <laughs> this, the original sin, right? Back to that concept and that it's always, it's always front and center for, you know, a large portion of, of the population. And last year it really got spotlit for everybody, right? Like I, I hadn't seen, I don't think any of us had seen anything that stuff didn't happen in 92 at the degree. Like I never saw all the cities go. I don't think it had been since maybe the sixties since all of the cities went up at once uh, and, and resisting and, and pushing back against, you know, police brutality. How, how, how did, did that shape at all the direction you've been working on this piece for five years? Did, did any of the dynamics of, of what you're working on change or did, did it, did it charge you up? Did it reinvigorate? Did iconography that wasn't there before start to, you know, bring itself into either the current episode or episodes that are coming down the line? Well, I think if anything, it made us, I would say, we were always confident. We were always sort of unapologetic about our vision, which is partially why it was taking, you know, the length of time that it was taking to get done. But with the uprisings, I think we just felt more um, uh, um, determined and, 
and confident that what we were saying, the story that we were telling, um, was crucial to be part of the of the larger sort of um, understanding of what's of what's going on. So, what it did it change? It didn't really necessarily change the story, but what it did change was our determination. I mean, we started to meet much more frequently because mm. we were also processing, like we were processing the trauma that was going on as well, but we were channeling it through the creative process, uh, especially with uh, our designer, um, um, Rad Mora, um, who was also in New York. And, you know, uh, after certain moments, we would just gather and do even more brainstorming, right? Um, that didn't necessarily change the object, but it changed sort of our own, <laughs> our own energy, right? Uh, towards making the, the piece. I do think what did shift is people's perception and reception of the vision and the story that we have to tell. Um, that's what changed the most dramatically. I think we were always determined and understood what what our story was about and how we wanted to tell it. But suddenly, to others, it became much more relevant, right? And so, hence, you know, the reception to it, a, a, a larger kind of network of nurturing of the piece, uh, uh, of the process. I don't know, Yasmin, if you want to add anything to that. Um, no, I mean, I don't think I have anything to add on to what you just said. I think it was, it was perfect as, as stated. Um, I, I, I will maybe one add, add just one other um, note around uh, um, one other maybe shift this year. I mean, I do think I do think some of like I would say uh, I think the lot of the kind of sorry, um, I'm hearing a uh, Siren. Is the siren come? Yeah. Oh yeah, yeah. yeah. Okay, sorry. <laughs> yeah. Um, but uh, I guess one thing—it's it, actually kind of maybe uh, uh, speaking about the pandemic. I, I kind of wanted to to note that while you know everything that M Michelle said, there was also just like um, we need to shoot in a production context, and we weren't allowed to yeah. shoot the normal way or even make this project the way that you're supposed to make it. Um, so that's—I know that's kind of a tangent, but there was that layer too, which. Um, was how do we make this <laughs> during this time um, when we have to be remote and we need to be shooting characters that actually need to be in altercation with each other. So we had a whole kind of design challenge just on making the project as well. So how, how I mean, how did you tackle that? Like, were were because like there, there were definitely stages during pandemic when like no one was producing anything. People weren't putting people on sets at all. And then we you know, slowly but surely as the testing regimes kind of came together, were were you, I you know, capturing actors yeah. in isolation? Were you you really limited crews? I mean, it's it wasn't easy. I, I it wasn't easy. I mean, we started actually in March working on episode mm. one, and then when everything did shut down, we even had like a test shoot right before the week of the shutdown. And I have to be honest, me personally, I don't know how Joe and Michelle. I thought, oh, we we can't like we could do as far as we we could, but I actually felt like, oh, we have to throw in the towel until things are open, and that really was my mentality. But then. I think was when um, the kind of urgency that Michelle was talking about, like there's this energy that came from last year just because of the political moment. And um, I think that in that kind of energy that made us sort of at least like in my strengths and, and like where, hey, we're, we can build tools. Why can't we build new workflows here? And that's kind of where we went. We're like, well, let's we, we can't do it the traditional way, but let's figure out ways of doing a virtual production. Essentially, we built our own virtual production uh, for Changing Same. Um, and no, no two actors were actually in the same space together. 
Um, and we made it work. Um, we built a whole workflow um, for this, and um, and that's how it was how we were able to to, circum- to kind of overcome it. Um, so we built new R and kind of R and D workflows to do to for production. Episode one's coming through Tribeca and has had you know, successful festival runs before. What does it mean that the reception has been so open and and enthusiastic from the both from programmers and from audiences at the festivals so far? Joe, go ahead. Joe. Oh, oh, there's an order here. <laughs> That's very. Uh, not like what I expected from you guys, but (laughs) let me just say this. Personally, I'm, I'm, uh, I'm honored and and affirmed. I have, uh, uh, I am more willing uh, to wait to, to make this right Mm. as opposed to settling for the next episode. Let me say we had, it, it, we had knock-down, drag-out fights about how to m- get this done and appease uh, our financiers. And, um, and so one of the big things is that we, we, we are not... That, that George Floyd is more horrific than anything that we can put in these, uh, uh, these pieces. And, and so part of... Uh, his death allowed us to say to ourselves, one, uh, uh, the reality, it's much more horrific. And two, uh, part of the, uh, the reality that we never experienced uh, is how we cope with this. And, and that is almost uh, more mesmerizing uh, than anything else. Like, Every time that we have these major tragic tragedies in our history, someone stands up and says no more. Someone stands and protects the children. Someone uh, cooks a dinner and and uh, sings a lullaby so so the babies can sleep. And so that then we realize this has got to be a part of our peace as well. Mm. And so to answer your question. In fact, I don't remember what the question is, but I really wanted to say that uh, that that uh, we are moving forward with much more determination, and uh, and we are challenged right now to give it uh, to you in full color. Uh, but this is a healing piece, and I and I think we're challenged to tell our history uh, in a way that wasn't told to me growing up in, in Los Angeles mm. uh, uh, or to my children growing up in Brooklyn or you guys means children growing up in uh, Palo Alto. She doesn't have children, but it sounds <laughs> great. Joe, you mentioned that this is a healing piece. And so I'm wondering when, when all the pieces are assembled, what is the hope of the journey that someone has gone through? What, what are you hoping that uh, a, a viewer comes out of and is moved to do once they've, you know, passed through all three pieces of the changing scene. Well, um, so for me, it, it, it's more than just, well, not just healing is obviously uh, an important aspect, but I feel 
uh, as a storyteller that we are in a battle. We are in a war, a battle of narratives. Um, and that our, certainly I feel that my responsibility, even my passion and, 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 and desire and mission to tell stories has to do with laying a stake on the ground of providing alternate narratives that have, haven't been told, uh, bearing witness um, through the use of storytelling tools that have been around for millennia, right? And, 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 um, and pushing for that uh, to be a space so that, you know, 50 years, 40 years from now, 100 years from now, you know, people excavate, uh, they'll be excavating the pandemic, just like we've excavated 1918, and will be able to come across these alternate stories, these narratives that are, are hopefully pushing up against uh, this other mythology that has, that has been um, destructive from a systemic perspective. So, you know, Changing Same is just a small part of this narrative shift that I think we all need to engage in and understand that this is a battle, this is a war, and, and we are warriors in it. You all have such a, 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 a fantastic, like, poetic sensibility of approaching all of these all of these concepts, like I'm, I'm like consistently from the surrealist imagery to like, you know, stories as, as like a, a kind of a battleground, like, I don't know why I feel like pointing that out, but like, there's, I dig the vibe, I guess I'm just what I'm trying to say, like in a, in a ham-fisted way, like there's, it's just, yeah, like there's, there's, there's a magic here, you know, there's, there's, I, I watch folks in, in the VR space, like, you know, deploy the tools to try and create empathy, you know, deploy the tools to like tell stories that maybe haven't been seen, but I, I rarely get to see it like all kind of coming together. And I rarely get to see people also really grounding story uh, in, a, in a way that lets you kind of take the hand of the viewer and, and bring them along into places where they may not want to go. So uh, I'm, I'm so excited for the next two chapters of this, and I'm so excited that more people are going to get to see this at Tribeca. Thank you very much. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you so much. Once again, I want to thank Joe, Michelle, and Yasmin for being our guests. You can find a link in the show notes to The Changing Same, An American Pilgrimage, Episode 1, uh, currently at Tribeca. I, if, if you have the means uh, to check it out, if you've got the, the, the headset uh, and you're able to do so, please do so. Uh, it's an incredible piece of work. Next up. We have Sutu and Lady Phoenix uh, here to talk with us about Brianna's Garden. Uh, this is an AR piece that is available on mobile right now, so you can download it. You can find a link in the show notes. So I'm going to make sure we've got at least the iOS. I think there's also a Google Play. i got to double check on that. I'm not reading notes right now. You know how I go. Um couple of notes here. Lady Phoenix is uh, the director and executive producer of the project. Uh, she actually joins us midway through the interview because she was on site in New York working on the, the actual installation there in New York City. Sutu is the uh, technical 
director, a creative director and technical director on the piece. Sutu, uh, for those who don't know, is one of the co-founders of iJack. Uh, a little disclosure, we did use iJack uh, as one of the ways to show our program off for the Spring Fling, uh, and we've been, we've been fans of iJack for a while. This piece is, even just the teaser of this piece was already just an incredible incredible piece of work very excited that this is going to be widely available uh slightly jealous that i can't see what they're doing in new york but the beautiful thing about the augmented reality app is that brianna's garden can be wherever you are so download it check it out and maybe even download it check it out and then come back around and listen to the piece we'll be here click the links all right we'll see you on the other side Sutu, thanks for joining me today. I know Lady Fee was going to try and be here with us, but she's on site right now. It's only the last couple of days until Tribeca starts. So like, <laughs> I'm so thankful for you talking to me while you're in the middle of all this. Um, for, for those who are curious and maybe haven't read up on it yet, uh, what is the experience of Brianna's Garden going to be? So um, Brianna's Garden is an augmented reality experience that's uh, actually been created in collaboration with Janaya Palmer, who's Brianna Taylor's sister. And um, Lady Fee reached out to Janaya uh, probably almost a year ago um, and uh, they sort of became online buddies and talked about, I think, like, and maybe if we get a chance to speak to Lady Fee at a later time, she can add to this, but... Um, Lady Fee was just kind of noticing the um, the kind of the negativity and the controversy um, or just fabricated controversies around Brianna, like all this kind of just fake um, idea of who she was. And that was um, just, you know, basically trolls on the internet were leaving horrible comments on Janaya's Instagram account and stuff like that. And so um, it kind of really raised this question and, the importance of like doing for us all to do better, to manage um, our social spaces, to make them safer and to, um, and just to kind of weed out this kind of horrible behavior. Um, so that was kind of the, one of the big pushes uh, to begin with the kind of the nucleus and the push comes to shove kind of moment that um, kind of got Lady Fee thinking about, you know, what she would like to do in that space. And Lady Fee and I had previously um, collaborated on some augmented reality projects for the Museum of African Diaspora. So we have like a history of working together um, to do sort of meaningful projects. And um, so she kind of, she reached out to me and, um, and sort of said like, oh, you know, I would like to do something for... Brianna Taylor's family and specifically with Janiya and we started a conversation which turned into uh, Brianna's garden. The experience itself, it is an augmented reality experience. The idea is that you will be able to um, find a quiet space that you feel comfortable um, to share your feelings in and you activate the garden to start growing around you in that space and a virtual garden will literally start growing 
in the center of that garden will be a monument, a 3D model monument of uh, Brianna. And, um, and then we have a very special visitor also appear in the garden, which will be a volumetric capture of um, Janiya Palmer. Um, and and Janiya gets to share her story and she gets to share her um, relationship with Brianna. And it's, it's, it's great to hear, just to hear her share her story and her memories of her sister in a way that's not skewed by any out, out other source. Um, so she becomes the true kind of custodian for, for the experience. Mm. And, then, um, and then in the spirit of trying to nurture a safer kind of online social space, the garden then invites the visitors to record a message themselves, like a message that they would like to leave either for Brianna Taylor's family or just for someone that they miss. And what um, begins to happen is you record a message and you send it to the garden and it grows as a flower in the garden. And then when you walk around the garden and you move your device over the various glowing flowers, you will hear recorded messages from previous visitors. How, how are you all curating those messages? Because I, I have to imagine, you know, this is a project you know, born out of, a, you know, finding a way to curate in a, a conversation that, left those who are arguing things in bad faith, you know, out like leave, leaving them out of the garden. They, they don't, yeah, they, yeah. Let, the devil, let the devils be at the, at the door. Well, that was um, our kind of number one concern right from the beginning. So we knew that we had to moderate the messages. So they, like once you recall the message, it gets sent off um, to, our, um, to our backend CMS system. And we actually teamed up with um, an org uh, called XRSI, which is um, it's a it's a safety initiative that's trying to build online better safer spaces online oh. in the XR industry, and um, and we've got a we've we've teamed up with um, uh, the founder and director of that space um, of that organisation, Kavya Perlman, and she's helped us pull together a team of volunteers to um, moderate the messages. Um, and yeah, we've basically built a, a backend system that, um, just allows us to, you know, approve the messages that are, that are fine and, and disapprove the ones that are, that are, you know, yeah. and then, um, once your message has been approved, you're sent an email, uh, with a QR code. And when you scan that QR code with the uh, app, it will actually, um, you'll get sort of thrown back into the garden or you'll be shown back into the garden and, um, and your flower um, will, will appear and it will be glowing, waiting for you so that you can listen to your message. But the cool thing about that we discovered is that um, you can actually share that QR code with someone else. So right. if you, you know, maybe you've, you've wanted to say something to somebody or the family of somebody um, and you just, you know, doing it in person is hard or something. So you could share them this 
a QR code and they go in there and they will hear the recorded message that you've left for them. So I'm interested to see how the, the garden grows in that respect. Um, and, yeah, we've had some really beautiful messages already left in there and it's really quite moving. Mm. There's There's so many moving pieces to this project. How how do y'all keep track? How does it come together? Like like are you inventing workflows as you go? I know that in your in your work, um, you know, as as one of the founders of IJAC, that you know that you're working a lot in the AR art space. But mm-hmm. here's you know, you know, you've got the model of Brianna. You're getting a hologram volumetrically captured. There's all this you know audio you're rooting. You've the XR SI sounds amazing. I'm so glad they exist, and, and and all this. This this is a lot of pieces. How does it? How do you? How does this manage to? This team manage to form? Um, yeah, it's a good question. Like the project kind of has been a labor of love. A lot of volunteers just um, investing energy, wanting the best for um, and Janai's family. Um, I, I obviously been in the XI industry for a while and have a lot of friends in the space um, and I reached out to a few who I knew would just just a good humans <laughs> and uh, I reached out to them just to get their opinion about stuff and they uh, they volunteered to help us out early on to help us get the ball rolling we have um, candy quash um, actually modeled our um, our Brianna model in the um, experience and Candy's you know, Candy, Candy works at the Wave um, mm. and she designs all of the avatars for the Wave's virtual concerts. So she's extremely talented. You know, she's done the avatars for The Weeknd and John Legend and Alice in Wonderland. Just the list goes on. So, you know, I couldn't be happier to have Candy involved and, Actually, a couple of friends from the Wave ended up helping out. Um, Brenda Chan from Wave <laughs> designed some really nice shader effects for me. Um, JC Leon ended up doing some rigging and animation work. Um, and then, yes, my IJAC team uh, in Australia, our, um, one of our junior programmers, um, Marlo Welk, he ended up volunteering a lot of his time early on just to help us um, build the foundation for the app um, and to get it to a place where we could um, put it in front of some organisations and companies like um, Microsoft ended up coming on board to sponsor us um, more recently. And Microsoft is obviously, um, you know, they have their volumetric video capture technology, so they helped us out um, along with MetaStage, which is the volumetric capture stage here in L.A., um, they helped us out with uh, flying Janaya and her boyfriend over to LA um, for a couple of days and we went to MetaStage and were able to um, capture her uh, as a 3D hologram. Um, to, and then, you know, Microsoft would have been really great in that they, you know, also pay for the accommodation and the, and the airfares and, and also to get, um, to get the family up to Tribeca as well as uh, providing all that technical support. So, um, but yeah, it's been a, like up until that sort of more recent sponsorship, it, yeah, it took a while to, um, to really get the, 
to get the ball rolling. It looks like Lady Fee has joined us now. Lady Phoenix, you're on site in Tribeca right now. So things are kind of just, you're getting the last details of the actual installation together. Yeah? Yeah, right now, live and in effect. Um, so for, for those who are going to be, uh, you know, Sutu kind of gave us the bro- breakdown of what the, the augmented reality experience is going to be uh, inside the app. For those who are going to be at Tribeca, uh, what are they encountering there that's maybe different from what people are going to be downloading at home? So we've, we've built out a full uh, garden <laughs> for people. We wanted to make it true to life. And we've built out a full garden where people can actually visit with Brianna uh, posthumously, of course, and augmented uh, in a in a virtual in a virtual kind of sanctuary uh, made real through the garden installation here at Tribeca. I'm I'm so glad you're able to join us because I have a, a question specifically for you about. I wonder if you could speak to just this idea of creating a space like this for veneration, reflect, and reflection using augmented reality. Uh, I know this is something that has sort of been like in the ether around AR for a while, but but here you are doing it and and, and doing it in a way that's you know with, with a figure who's become very you know very important to a lot of people. Uh, I mean, beyond her family, why this why this route? Why this route? Yeah, a couple of reasons. So initially, when uh, you know, before formulating this project, I began getting really curious about Janaya Palmer, her baby sister and her story and wondering, you know, what she's going through, what is she thinking, what is she feeling as she's having to deal with complex issues of grief in public. And when I began following her online, specifically on Instagram, I discovered that she was receiving a number of death threats um, to herself, to her family. Uh, receiving um, an alarming amount of negative feedback from white supremacists, uh, from people who didn't respect women, and just thought, well, this is unacceptable, you know? And when we look back on this moment in history, we need a record of who Brianna truly was from the people who loved her the most. And we also needed a space and a record where those who you know, stood for what's right, uh, not only for Brianna, but for humanity, had a voice. And what I saw coming from the mainstream media and also from trolls on on Instagram was all negative. And I wanted a way to disrupt um, or upset the setup that was, you know, Janaya not fully having a voice and those who supported Brianna not fully having a voice and also wanting to create an experience where those who are grieving, regardless of their background or their affiliation or where they lived, could gather together in peace and in unity uh, to mourn together, to celebrate the life of Brianna Taylor together. And that space didn't exist. I wanted a place that would be unencumbered from the outside world and didn't know of one. And so I made one called my buddy Sutu, who's in my mind, the most badass person in XR that would encompass VR and AR. So virtual reality and augmented reality and said, Hey buddy, um, you want to do this with me? (laughs) And uh, I expected him to say, this is crazy. But he actually said, hell yeah, let's do it. So um, we started working on this project in July of 2020. 
and are lucky and fortunate for the partnership um, with Microsoft and with Tribeca. And um, yeah, and now here we are presenting it to the world with, uh, with Brianna's family, Miss Tamika Palmer and Janaya Palmer and even Kenny, uh, Brianna's boyfriend. Have they? Have they? What's been their reaction to to seeing this space you made? If if I may. Yeah, they love it. Um, they really love it, and they're thankful for it, and they get it. And um, I remember, you know, at first when we presented this to both Janai and her mother, her mother got it straight away. Um, I should say their mother got it straight away and was like, "This is wonderful. Thank you for doing this. We love this." The sister got it straight away too, but she was a bit more reserved, right? Janaya was a bit more reserved. And, you know, over time, working with her and the family with the project, she's really blossomed. And I feel that it's been a healing tool. And the mother, you know, commented that this was a healing tool for Janaya in particular, and that would be good. It would be good for her. And that it's something that she needed to. Um, you know, to have as she continues to heal her heart and her her soul and her body and her mind, you know, the totality of who she is through this process. Um, Brianna just had a birthday on June 5th. I was in Kentucky with the family for that, and that was really special and beautiful and, um, you know, had the opportunity to see everyone who loved Brianna, right? Um, I met her first cousin, um, I'm forgetting her name right now, but I met her first cousin who told me she was with Brianna at pretty much every single day of her life, you know, and who felt that the project was really special um, to be that sanctuary for those who loved her. And Brianna has two uh, godchildren. One of them is quite young, like about two or three years old. And one of them's a bit older, around uh, nine or 10 years old. And, um, maybe eight years old, somewhere around there, and was saying, you know, by the time that they're older and they have enough consciousness and sort of awareness to ask questions, they have a record of who their godmother was, one that is pure and one, again, that comes from those who love her. Because if you search on the news now or search on Wikipedia or any of these sort of archival sites, um, there's a lot of mixed reviews about who Brianna Taylor was and all of those kind of mixed reviews that don't come from people who even knew her and certainly don't come from people who loved her, who cared for her, who still mourn her, who miss her every single day. And with Brianna's garden, we give those who care for her and who love her the opportunity to be with her, although virtually, albeit virtually, they still are able to be with her and they can um, surround themselves in the warmth and love of the memories of people who actually knew her. And it's such an incredible gift and opportunity to have that, you know. My grandmother passed away in 2018. um, And, you know, I wish that I had, you know, stories from her sisters and her brothers and those who grew up with her and knew her um, to hear other aspects and other sides and funny stories and warm memories and loving memories of who my grandmother was. And so... I think a part of why I wanted to offer this to Janaya as both my gift and my protest um, is because I know that later on, right, in reflection, looking back, 
this will be really special. And when she's having those hard days and there's nowhere else to go but within, she can go into the garden with Brianna and be with her sister. A lot of people may not realize, but Janiah actually lived with Brianna at the time. And so when Brianna was murdered by the um, Louisville police uh, officers, Janiah not only lost her best friend and her big sister, but she also lost her home, right? So that's a lot on a young person. Janiah's just turned 21 last December, December the 5th. So, you know, there's a lot here that was lost, and there's a lot of healing to do, and there's a lot of reconciliation uh, to happen, not only just among uh, Brianna's family, but also among humanity, right? So this is a step in the right direction. What what were the details that you knew you you just had to get right? Because you know you're you're translating, you're bringing these experiences and someone's identity into this this augmented space, and you're you're creating a space for for others to to connect and connect their own experiences of 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 loss of of remembrance. So what did you find yourself sort of obsessing is maybe the wrong word, but it's the one that comes to mind. Um, just, just knowing that if you could get these details right, that, that something of the true spirit would come through. Yeah. So that was um, Brianna's favorite song, Brianna's favorite flower and uh, the butterflies and sort of like the, the basic kind of lighting and colors of the garden. Those are the things that I knew if we got right, um, you know, we'd honored, we'd really honor Brianna. And plus having, you know, again, I'd say the most important flowers, if you will, among the garden are the voices and memories of her family. Mm-hmm. I think that we could have almost built anything, but as long as we uplifted uh, her community and her family, and as long as we included them, uh, then I think they would have probably been happy with almost anything. But knowing from Janaya that um, her favorite flower is a tulip, the garden uh, and the butterflies and the light and all the, the design was right on point. A lot of it was intuitive. And then checking in with Janaya as we, you know, kind of go along. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to shift gears for a moment. Uh, to the kind of the the wider world of digital art, and then then bring us back around uh, to Brianna's garden. But before we let you guys run off and <laughs> keep on working, um, digital art's really going through a renaissance uh, right now. It feels like uh, you know the NFT boom at the start of the year, this blossoming of AR projects. Um, how much has the excitement around NFTs, the ubiquity of AR filters? Um, you know, in Insta and everything. Uh, how does that move this digital art movement from the experimental into the mainstream? How did it move digital art from the experimental into the mainstream? Yeah, well, I guess in the moment, like, are, are we at a, are we, does it feel like we're at a spot where things are starting to become mainstream in the kind of work that y'all have been making? Yeah, I would say that... Um... Certainly, people have been making digital art for over 50 years. 
um, in the high art space. But I would say that certainly there are movie, you know, movies have made uh, digital art very mainstream. Once again, um, proud of my friend. So Sutu has helped kind of like pioneer or at the very least lead a lot of the innovation in and around that uh, with many of the movies like the Marvel movies and such that that have come out a lot of that vision and skill and work come from digital artists like Sutu you know like Ready Player One which was all about the metaverse and you know our digital identity Um, a lot of those special effects and graphics and art that you see in the movies came from artists like Sutu. So I think that we are in it right now as we speak. I, I could also add a little bit to that perhaps. I think like um, in this last year, especially it's been quite unique obviously because of the pandemic. So we had like the whole sort of world population um, staying at home and really valuing their screen time. Um, and also um, being a bit more adventurous with the type of content that they um, interact with. So there was a huge spike in popularity with immersive content such as VR and AR, and obviously um, the NFT NFT movement kind of um, grew out of this moment, and it's you know kind of no surprise that when we're all sitting there watching and valuing digital content that we'd actually put a currency value on it and we actually want to um, pay the digital artists um, some money for everything that they're creating. Um, you know, so the, these types of things all kind of um, happened simultaneously and that uh, definitely created a huge uh, boom in the space and then the rest of the world started noticing it. Um, now that we've started to go back into the public and we're kind of emerging from the pandemic, we've been having, um, I've been getting a lot of uh, interesting calls from institutions and organisations like um, just finished like a project with LACMA and they're doing like augmented reality activations in the grounds around LACMA and it's kind of the first time that they've really invested in augmented reality um, for their audiences. But this is like, a you know, one of the main pillars of art and culture in Los Angeles that have, have also finally come around um, and seeing the value of it. So it's definitely going through a, um, a huge sort of positive transformation right now and I, I couldn't be happier, um, you know, for, for my own industry and for my artists and friends that are, that are finally um, sort of receiving the, the value and attention that they deserve for putting in the hard work all of these years. So I think we also, sorry, Situ. All right, I'm done. I think we also see the shift happening in the high art world. Um, I've just concluded an auction at Christie's of NFTs. It's their first curated NFT auction. And we had one piece in there that was an augmented reality piece by an artist called um, Aurea Harvey, who's represented by Bitform's gallery, a guy, uh, the gallerist there, he's called Steve. And um, I, for, for me, from my knowledge, that's the first that I know of, of an NFT, of an augmented reality NFT being collected at, um, you know, 
an auction house like Christie's at that level. So as Suchu said, the world is open and ready for this technology, for the innovation, for the ideas, for the experiment even, right? Um, and I feel that there are so many willing parties from Christie's to Tribeca to everyday people to the movie industry. And I'm really excited for uh, my artist friends like Sutu and like Aurea for, you know, where we're going um, as a creative class, but also as a technology. Yeah, I'm really gra- glad you drew the line between sort of the special effects industry and what's happening now in sort of the, the traditional, you know, high art market, but also to, you know, what's what's happening in like the filter space because we have all been consuming digital art for half a century. I, this is, this moment right now feels like we're having a, a change of the relationship between the audience and the artists. This is starting to become, you know, it doesn't have to just be contained within this larger piece of culture. And the artists don't have to be anonymous, you know, servicing a brand. It can be a, a much more one-to-one relationship between artists and patrons or between artists, artists and audiences. So... Um, it's, it's kind of, it's, it's, it's very electric and I'm really curious to see how it continues to grow from here. I would say also like, you know, this is where the, um, the technology itself really lends itself to, um, create these opportunities to connect, um, communities and artists, uh, with the broader public. So the, just the fact that we were able to, um, you know, capture Janaya as a hologram to allow her to appear in the garden, which could indeed be activated in your own backyard. Um, Janaya gets to tell you her story. She becomes the custodian of her story and the story for her family. And she's surrounded by these flowers that are uh, that include audio recordings from other members of her family, including her mother. Like this is so... Um, powerful and it's powerful in a way that transcends a lot of the other mediums of art uh, just to be able to create a space for these voices and and indeed like Janai's image to exist in it's uh, that's what's kind of exciting and also one of the reasons why we chose augmented reality because everyone can everyone has a mobile device these days so they'll be able to activate it themselves uh, in their own kind of comfortable space and, and then they can participate in the movement in this kind of growing of a virtual garden. And if they feel so inclined, they can leave their own message for the garden. So I like this idea of it being participatory and, and in, in participating, we're really starting to think about how we navigate grief in this context. Um, and we can kind of learn from others that have left messages in the space and I can tell you, like, just from having listened to so many of the messages already recorded, that it is really powerful and a beautiful thing. So, yeah, looking forward to everyone being able to have a, to tune in. Well, not just how we navigate grief, but also how we navigate joy, right? Because everyone um, sort of deals with loss differently, right? There's no doubt that the loss of Breonna Taylor um, was, you know, impactful to our nation, but also, you know, more sort of granularly impactful to Janaya. She's 21 years old, 
right? And so she has so much life ahead of her. The godchildren who are three, you know, three years old and eight years old have so much life ahead of them. And so um, I want people to understand that when they try this experience at Tribeca, when they enter the garden, um, certainly there are, there is, you know, grief is present, but next to grief is joy. And if joy is something folks want to express in the garden, um, they can also express that because ultimately the veneration is the celebration of Brianna Taylor and who she was and who she is to the people that love her that are leaving those messages of hope. And then also for those that are leaving messages for the loved ones that they miss, um, there's also, you know, a silver lining of hope from for them as well. And so just wanted to add that um, both grief and joy are on the same spectrum and you're invited to share a message of either. It feels like it dovetails into you know, my question to close out to y'all, which is what you hope people, you know, come away from their experience in the garden with. And is it, is it that, is it that, that awareness of you know, these things being entwined? Uh, the, you mean the things being entwined as grief and joy? Yeah, the, or... grief, the grief and joy. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I think that I don't have any sort of like hard and fast ideas about what I want people to come from the garden, come away from the experience with. I think that I would like people to understand I have a, as an artist, right, as a, and as a curator, I have a desire to help us as a country, as a culture, think about the ways that we remember those who've gone on, who've ascended, who, no, who are no longer in flesh sharing time and space with us. I think that in America, we don't really have rituals around how to deal with death or passing or ascension. And this is also sort of like my addition to that conversation. So if anything, I would want people, now that I'm thinking about it, to walk away from the experience with an understanding of how to have greater respect for those who've gone on, who've ascended, um, no matter how they've done so, whether it was just or unjust. Um, I'd love for people, we're entering a time, and this may be opening up a can of worms as you're trying to close, but we're really entering a time where death isn't going, is going to be thought of differently. Mm. Death isn't this kind of permanent thing, right, where people have to live without their loved ones. I mean, for Mexico, they have Dia de los Muertos, where they remember uh, you know, it's the day of the dead where they remember their ancestors, whether they're recent or from a long time ago. And, um, you know, they have pictures of them. They celebrate and dance and drink and all, they have offerings for their ancestors. So ancestor worship or relationship with ancestors um, is a big part of many cultures worldwide. And I think in America, we don't really have a way of uh, like we don't really have a way of kind of like celebrating that and keeping the spirit of that recent ancestor or distant ancestor alive. And I think that we can use technology to truly honor the life of those who've gone on. And if I want people to walk away with anything, I want them to walk away with that, that you, you know, you have the opportunity to create new rituals and new ways of being right um, in relationship to those who've gone on. And I think with people like Breonna Taylor, you know, the, the younger generations want 
new examples of, you know, they want new examples and new models. I've often said through this whole process that Breonna Taylor is sort of the new, like this new generation's Martin Luther King, not in, you know, the, the particular political sense, but in the way that people got out into the streets and protested and really believed in something. Like she stands for that, you know, she stands for justice. And um, I want people to walk away from the experience understanding that they're empowered to create the types of narratives that bring honor to people's lives, but also bring honor to their life. If they want to upset the setup, they're empowered to do so. And that often starts with um, properly remembering a person whose life uh, was laid down so that, you know, those that are still living could have more justice. And for me, that's Brianna Taylor. And that's an excellent place for us to, to close out on. Lady Phoenix and Sutu, thank you both so much. I know how busy you are right now putting the final details into place for the Tribeca uh, debut. So I'm, I'm really thankful for you taking this time with me today. Thanks for having us. Thank you very much. Appreciate the time. Once again, I want to thank Lady Phoenix and Sutu for being our guests and for sharing with us about Brianna's Garden. Again, check the show notes for links to the app. It's free. Download it. Download it. Um, explore it. Interact. It's there for you. Also, again, want to thank the creative team from The Changing Same, Joe, Michelle, Yasmin, for coming and talking to us about that project. Uh, there is so much going on in Tribeca. Honestly, I'm overwhelmed. Uh, <laughs> 30 pieces. I'm just like, ah, all this content. Uh, and there's some really great pieces. Uh, I'm a big fan of Kasunda, uh, which uh, is something you can uh, check out if you have um, if you have a, a tethered headset. Um, you know, we're I'm very excited. At some point, I'm going to get a chance to check out Welcome to Respite. Um, because we love nothing more than VR immersive theater here. It's just like, you know, it's our Reese's, it's our Reese's peanut butter cup. You take the VR, you take the immersive theater, you put them together. I shouldn't have said Reese's. I remembered I got a lot of big cups in the, uh, (laughs) the fridge. There was a sale. They were, they were, they were like 68 cents a piece. I had to get a bunch. You had to buy them in full tables of three. Anyway, uh, that's, that's beside the point. Um, so welcome to respite uh the, you know uh, i'm i'm jealous of the team in new york because they get to go check out the installations uh just, just check out what's going on at tribeca immersive uh and maybe hope that as things continue and as we get more hybrid events in the future that even once everything's back to normal quote unquote not that there's normal anymore uh that we get to keep these hybrid film and cultural festivals because it's really wonderful when more people are able to experience the work. Um, there's just such good, good work going on. Okay. Um, what else is there out in the world right now? Well, as you can tell, I'm kind of harried. Uh, we have started up 
uh, pre-production on the next phase of the podcast. You'll learn more about that soon. Next week on the show, uh, we have our dear friend, uh, Shivana Lachlan, uh, here on the cast to talk about her brand new in-person show here in Los Angeles and also about the work she's been doing online as part of her Please Don't Touch the Artist series. And then episode 300, we're getting the team together. You know we're going to have a party for episode 300. Uh, no way around it. Uh, we might even get some of the team together in person. Um, <laughs> I've got to figure out the logistics when that recording's happening soon. And then uh, there's going to be a bye week. Uh, there'll, be, there'll be a tiny little episode explaining everything that's going to happen afterwards, pr- doing some forward promotion about uh, what comes next. And then, yeah, after that, I don't know. You'll find out. You'll find out soon enough. No, we did not find a whole bunch of money. <laughs> For some reason, I've decided that as things get tighter, uh, I'm just going to work harder. Oh, man, I just, just, I got, a, I got, a, I got a disease, man. I really do. All right, uh, that's enough for now. Please, if you can, help us out at Patreon.com/slash/NoProsinium. Uh, it is, it is no joke to say that uh, we, we need it. We, who's we? The royal we. I. I need it. Uh, Patreon.com slash no just like our sustaining backers, Mark Baltazar, Jan Budman, Paul F., Sidney Guillory, Lonnie Hanson, Ari Hurston, Emily Gillette, Samuel Mustry, Deborah Robinson, Brittany, and Elaine. Thank you all so much. Music for No Persinium is by Chris Porter of the Speakeasy Society. The executive editor of NoPersinium.com is Catherine Yu. I am the publisher of NoPersinium.com. I'm also your host. I'm Noah Nelson. You can find everything we do at NoPersinium.com or at EverythingImmersive.com where you'll find our listings to get the latest immersive events. Go there and search. And we've got some fun changes coming to the site soon. Uh, Chris Grimm is our webmaster over there and designer of that site. And he works tirelessly to make all this happen. This is a labor of love. Imagine what we could do if we got some of that Jeff Bezos money. Um, Or maybe one of those vaccine lotto payouts. I'm vaxxed. Why can't I have it? All right, enough of that. Am I bitter about that? Yes, I am. I'm very bitter about it. Should have held out. Should have held out. Um, no, no. Glad it. Mm, no, I should have held out. All right. Anyway, <laughs> enough of that. Until next time, I'll see you at the show. <laughs> <laughs>